welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're going to take a look at St. Matthias Day, Apostle. The day that the church has set aside for St. Matthias is February 24. If you've been to a St. Matthias service, uh, count yourself as one of the chosen, the few, the lucky ones. St. Matthias Day almost always falls during Lent, and uh, some traditions have moved the date to uh, other times to um, be able to honor, observe, and remember St. Matthias. Uh, in the Greek church, they moved the date to August 9. In uh, the Roman calendar, they've moved it to May 14, but you know those stubborn Lutherans, uh, we've kept the traditional date, the date that uh, goes back over a thousand years, St. Matthias Day, February 24, and uh, here's where we're going to park the car. I'm Pastor Clint Poppy. Uh, along with me is Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Timothy Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. This year with our Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minor focus, we're looking at minor festivals, feast days, commemorations, observances and occasions, things that uh, don't get a chance to be examined in great detail. And boy, St. Matthias is definitely one of those that does not get examined in great detail. In my Manual on the Liturgy from Lutheran Book of Worship, page 37, I read, Matthias was chosen by Lot to fill the vacancy in the Twelve left by the death of Judas Iscariot. Although he is not mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament, the account of his election, Acts 1, 15-26, implies that he was a follower of Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. Tradition locates his missionary labor in Ethiopia. Pastor, based on those uh, little introductory comments there, thoughts on Matthias, or as they would say in Germany, Matthias. Yeah, there's actually uh, another tradition, too, as to the location to where Matthias actually served, and that was in the region of Cappadocia, uh, which would be in the northeastern part of Turkey. And uh, tradition holds he served there for a long time uh, and was actually martyred, stoned to death in uh, the modern state of Georgia. Um, not uh, Georgia, United States, but Georgia, uh, over there by the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. Uh, and so... Uh, that's really great either case if it's Ethiopia or Cappadocia because the reality is these are not well-known places. And Matthias gets selected to become the new apostle, and he goes about his work of preaching and teaching, and nobody really remembers anything more about him. Uh, he goes perhaps to the armpit of the Roman Empire, Cappadocia, or even out of the empire to uh, a weak state that's outside in, uh, uh, in Africa. And in either case, he serves faithfully, but nobody remembers anything super spectacular or amazing about him. And so in that way, he's kind of like a precursor or a mold that most modern pastors and pastors since then have fit into that um, you know there won't be a, a statue to Clint Poppy that is erected you know 50 feet tall that everybody remembers for all time there won't be St. Poppy Cathedral built where you're buried you'll probably just you, like you me hurt my feelings well there. I mean but that's 
that's the whole point, right? What's it's, Matthias it, pointing it's reality. to? It's reality. It's reality. He's preaching Christ, pointing people to Christ, and as a result, uh, he himself, in many ways, is forgotten after he's mentioned in the scriptures in Acts chapter one. Uh, you know, you mentioned that about Turkey, and uh, I have another little resource here called the Church Year Guide by Paul Bosch. Augsburg Publishing House, 1987. And there's a little note here that says, the color for St. Matthias Day is red. His symbol is a halbert or curved sword or scimitar. Scimitar. Scimitar, suggesting his martyr's death by beheading. Yes. And and that's the unique thing about the region of Cappadocia. It was a part of the... uh, um, Later on, it becomes a part of those empires that reached off uh, towards Greece, um, you know, from centered in Babylon. There's the word I'm trying to look for, the Achaemenid uh, Empire, the Babylonian Empire, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, Cappadocia is always a part of that, and so it has that eastern influence, thus the Semitar, um, and uh, it's on the border region of the Roman Empire, and it uh, has that history of being under the control of, like, Nebuchadnezzar and others, and so uh, the Scimitar would be the weapon of choice for them, as opposed to a more Roman uh, gladius or, uh, um, well, what's the name of the longer one? I can't think of it. But, uh, you know, that again shows he goes off, he preaches, he teaches out in the armpit. This is not very popular place. Nobody wants to live there. In fact, in Cappadocia, um, the the people there, it, it's kind of like the badlands of Wyoming and South Dakota and Montana, uh, and people dig their homes into the caves in these really rugged mountains and hills and valleys, and uh, nobody really wants to be there, and yet that's where Matthias faithfully preaches and teaches because Christ wants those people to believe in him all the same. The uh, collect of the day, and we'll pray that at the end of our program, the collect of the day will uh, really bring that home, that uh, the focus today is on the office of the holy ministry and uh, not making a name for yourself and being faithful to Christ and his word. Uh, Vicar, the gospel reading for St. Matthias Apostle Day, February 24 on the church's calendar, is Matthew eleven twenty-five through 30. Please. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Okay, we've got a a section here. Part of it is familiar, part of it is uh, probably less familiar. Um, In our one-year series readings, um, and also in one of the minor festivals, Uh, the martyrdom of John the Baptist, we have been in the earlier verses of Matthew 11. 
Jesus sends his, uh, John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus to hear straight from the horse's mouth what's going on. I believe that is the third Sunday in Advent, and I'm doing that off the top of my head, where that is the uh, pericope for the, uh, the gospel reading in those earlier verses in Matthew 11. And so a little bit later here, after Jesus has given some teaching, woe to the unrepentant cities, he uh, has already uh, sent out the 12 in uh, chapter 10. And now we have this, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden passage, very common, oftentimes a confirmation verse. And the context of this is really interesting. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. What things um, is Jesus talking about when he says you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children? Well, uh, in the context, we have to to take the whole thing together. I know we take little parts out for the lectionary, but the thing that's being revealed is, uh, first off, to the disciples of John the Baptist, that Jesus is the Messiah who's fulfilling uh, the words of Scripture, um, that he is doing the things the Messiah was foretold to do. Uh, Also then, that uh, uh, the words right before that, that uh, kind of a fulfillment of the book of Jonah, uh, if you will, that Jesus is doing these miracles. He's doing the things the Messiah is supposed to do. And if uh, these people from of old or in these other cities had seen, and he mentions Sodom, for example, that they would have repented of their sins and believed. And yet we have these people that are witnessing them firsthand and are not repenting and are not returning to the faith, but instead are uh, hardening their hearts as Pharaoh did. And so God is revealing his word through the preaching and teaching and miracles of Jesus, and the word is Jesus himself, and that's the thing that God in Jesus is glad that is being revealed. Can, can we talk, Pastor, uh, in a general sense, whenever we see this revealing, can we talk about the incarnation as the revealing, uh, as an epiphany where God is revealing or epiphanying Jesus, God in the flesh, and then specifically the messages, the teaching of the kingdom? Can we, can we flow that way? Well, I, I think I'd say that um, all the things that are being talked about here that is being seen fulfilled in Jesus teaches that he is the Messiah, that he is God. In other words, that the incarnation has happened. And so I think that'd be a, a way to say it um, and and to bring that idea about. But Christ is, is being revealed as the Messiah who has come into the world to fulfill God's will. And, and that includes the incarnation, it includes the crucifixion, it includes all the preaching and the teaching and the miracles. Everything that Christ does uh, is indicating that God is revealing how he's going to save the world in Jesus. The uh, verse 26 <laughs> then seems to tie in, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. When we, when we read in uh, Timothy, we see that um, God desires that all people would be saved, 
And uh, from our catechism instruction, we know that the good and gracious will of God is that his name be hallowed and his kingdom come. Um, in a sense, aren't we saying exactly the same thing in those two answers? Yeah, uh, and, and I think that this idea reveals that also. Uh, God's gracious will is that John the Baptist's disciples would see Jesus and believe in him uh, and follow him rather than John the Baptist. Uh, God's gracious will is the same thing for you and for me and for uh, all the world, that they would see Jesus and believe in him as Messiah and Savior and God. Okay. Um, before we get into this uh, next section, I think we're going to take our break. Um, what I want you to ponder on here as we go into this break, Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 27, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That sounds kind of confusing, Pastor, and I want you to help us unpack it. And it also makes me think of the last verses in Matthew, what we usually call the Great Commission. So uh, ponder that while we go to break. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors, St. Matthias Day, February 24. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. For one in place of Judas, the apostles sought God's choice. The lot fell to Matthias, for whom we now rejoice. May we, like true apostles, your holy church defend and not betray our calling, but serve you to the end. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're taking a look at St. Matthias, Apostle of Our Lord Day, February 24th. I read uh, stanza 13 from LSB 517 in our uh, intro and uh, outro music. We, uh, we play that hymn, By All Your Saints in Warfare. That is the specific stanza that is dedicated to St. Matthias. It ties in very, very well with some of our introductory thoughts that we had in our first segment. We're about halfway through our gospel reading, Matthew 11, 25 to 30. I uh, left everybody with kind of a teaser in Matthew 11, verse 27, uh, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Now, before we go any farther, Pastor, that makes me think of Matthew 28, 18 to 20, or 16 to 20, if you want the longer reading, what we generally consider or call the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Is this intentional? Is the Holy Spirit through Matthew uh, uh, writing these things with regard to authority and all things as a way to show the unity in how this book is all connected? 
I mean, yeah, the Holy Spirit is definitely working that in Matthew, and I think Jesus also said these words in Matthew, is recording them for us. Uh, and so what it's teaching us is the uniqueness of the Trinity. So uh, within the Trinity, there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one God, and they interact and, and talk with another, but externally they work always as one. And, uh, and Jesus is helping us to understand the Trinity because it's kind of a complicated thing that— you know, we have some extremely smart theologians that write thousands and thousands of pages on the topic of the Trinity, and in the end, all the conclusion they can come to is, well, Scripture teaches the Trinity because Jesus teaches it, and, and God the Father teaches it, but we can't really understand it any more than say we have one God and three persons, three persons and one God, neither dividing the Godhead nor confusing the persons, and and that's all we can really understand, and it's beyond comprehension. So Jesus is helping us understand inter-Trinitarian relationships, even as it still remains outside of our comprehension. And I hadn't really thought about this text as a Trinitarian text, but it certainly is. Yes. Because when Jesus is talking about the, the connectedness between the Father and the Son, and in the previous verse, he's talking about how things have been revealed— well, it's God the Holy Spirit that does the revealing. So we've got all three persons of the Trinity at work here in this text, even though the Holy Spirit, the, the hidden member of the Trinity, is not mentioned specifically by name. Let's keep going here then. Um, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. All right, now, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And then we have this, and, and that obviously testifies to this this unique, mysterious relationship between Jesus and the Father. Uh, in John chapter 10, at the end of the chapter, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. We've got some of that kind of stuff going on here. And then he says, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So the Father knows the Son, the Son knows the Father, and then anyone to whom Jesus chooses to reveal this to. Help me unpack that. Well, again, we have an allusion here to the work of the Holy Spirit uh, doing the revealing, or even as we get to the next verse, uh, come to me. Um, no one can come to the Father except uh, the Holy Spirit call them, gather them, enlighten, and sanctify them. Uh, and so we have this idea that Jesus is definitely teaching. But I think, too, um, we have this idea that we cannot know who God is apart from Jesus. Um, we can't know the Father apart from Jesus. We can't know how God operates uh, apart from watching Good Friday, which is, is coming up shortly, the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in that that God most clearly reveals who he is. Um, and so, you know, we always have this conversation. We talk about, you know, well, don't Jews believe in the same God? No, because they can't really know who God is apart from Jesus. Um, do uh, some of these other people actually believe the same God? No. Apart from Jesus and the true confession of who Jesus is, there's no actual knowledge of God the Father nor of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so that's why 
it's important to focus on Christ crucified and risen rather than to, like the Pentecostals, to focus on the Holy Spirit or even the people who, you know, very nicely and, and piously always are praying to um, Father God, you know. Uh, we need to focus our attention on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And the way God has revealed himself to us in his very, very clear word. Um, this uh, this text, you know, I'm thinking about St. Matthias and uh, about as obscure as you can get. And yet this mystery was revealed to Matthias. He was uh, through Jesus, through Jesus. He was one of the followers of Jesus from the very beginning. We'll get to that when we get to our epistle reading. And this is what a faithful pastor does now. Uh, Simply reveals the word of God, the mysteries of God to the people that God have entrusted him to uh, without any fanfare. Uh, We are we are to convey we are to same say the word of God for the benefit of our hearers. And and I think, you know, when people say, well, all you guys ever talk about is Jesus and the cross and the crucifixion, Um, you know, you don't talk about um, this or that, you know, you don't tell us how to become wealthy, healthy, and wise in this world, you don't tell us this other nonsense. Well, that's because that's the only way we actually see who God is, is when we look at Jesus clearly. And so we'll keep on preaching Christ crucified, um, as as St. Paul writes, because that's the way that... Jesus reveals who God the Father is, and when Jesus reveals who God the Father is, it's through his word, which the Holy Spirit is attached to, to call, gather, enlighten, and sanctify the entire Christian church on earth, and keep it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. And even that way we say that, keep it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith, because it's in Jesus that God is known. In uh, the mo- most familiar part of this text, uh, G- Matthew eleven twenty eight and following, Jesus gives this call, this invitation, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Vicar, what are some times when, uh, when people are heavy laden um, because of their labor or just because of things in the world? What are some examples? Sickness the death of a family member, things in the world that are out of their control, financial instability, but also, too, on a more personal level when they are weighed down either by their own sins or the sins of others that have been perpetuated against them. Yeah, this this can be, uh, I'm glad you covered both of those. This can be something physical or material. This can be something spiritual and internal because we have labors and burdens all the time from both. And Jesus gives a promise. He says, I will give you rest. Pastor, what, uh, what kind of rest does Jesus give or offer or promise? Well, um, you know, again, this has many different ways that that rest is uh, actualized or realized in our lives. First off, uh, as we face the challenges and difficulties of this world, we can have peace knowing that whatever happens in the world is not our end or isn't uh, able to defeat us or uh, take us away from Christ or or crush us permanently. Uh, Even if it kill us, yet shall we live. And so we have that peace and comfort as we face the challenges day by day, moment by moment during our earthly life. But we also have the the same uh, rest that uh, is promised in the Lord's Prayer when we say, deliver us from evil, in the sense that 
at the end of this life, uh, when we die, yet will we be resurrected. Uh, Even at the moment of death, our soul will go to be with God in peace and comfort forevermore. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Jesus Christ. Um, That gives us a certain amount of peace, too, a peace that passes all understanding, a rest that has no end, a a Sabbath day uh, in God's kingdom uh, that we have to look forward to. And so those are the the things that that rest kind of encapsulates, and, and there's probably even more to it than that we aren't thinking about. No, I think I think you've hit on the on the highlights. You know, when somebody dies, oftentimes we say rest in peace. And Jesus in verse twenty nine says, um, "You will find rest for your souls." And when we die in our sins, when we're headed to whole uh, hell, there is no rest for our souls. And that is a time of eternal torment. Now, Pastor, in our time that we have left, uh, Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. In verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Is Jesus saying that I have to do something to earn merit or achieve this rest or my salvation or forgiveness? What is this, uh, this yoke and burden that Jesus is talking about? Well, uh, I think the yoke and burden Jesus is referencing in in one sense is the cross, which he himself will bear and carry to Golgotha and that he'll die on. Um, And then as a result, we take up our crosses and follow him. But the crazy thing is, I mean, so that that means we're going to suffer and struggle. And yet the crazy thing is, is that everything necessary for our salvation, Christ accomplishes and he does and he works and there's nothing we can add or subtract from that. And so for us, uh, bearing our crosses and following Jesus and suffering is actually, um, from his own words, easy and light because we know what the outcome is. We know where the end is, that um, this world cannot conquer us and that we will have the rest and the peace and the comfort that uh, Christ promises. And so it is, we don't want you to say, reading these words, that when you become a Christian, everything will be easy and restful and light after that. It won't be. It'll be actually probably more difficult and challenging and difficult uh, in terms of persecution and suffering. And yet the promise is so great that uh, our lives here, are this light momentary affliction is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us in Jesus Christ. I think there's, I think there's a twofold uh, comparison there, the, uh, the yoke and the burden that we carry as Christians, uh, the fact that God promises that there will be suffering in this world, and we still live in a, a fallen world, the, our burdens and our yokes are light in comparison to what Christ has done, uh, going and bearing the burden and the yoke of the sin of the whole world on himself and on the cross. And then if you want to look at it uh, in the other way about the uh, rest for your soul, uh, the the tiny little suffering and burdens and yokes that we bear uh, on this side of heaven are certainly nothing in comparison to the eternal fire and torment that we would be suffering in hell. So I think you can look at both of those. And even, you know, I always like to ask uh, people during Bible study when we read verses like this or or St. Paul's words that I quoted earlier, when you have spent your first million years, in one sense, in God's eternal kingdom, 
and you still have eternity ahead of you, and you think about your life here in this world, what's the comparison? Yeah, it's just it's, it's nothing. Nothing. It, you know, uh, even if you live to be 100, it's nothing. Yeah, amen. Um, we're looking at St. Matthias Apostle Day, February 24, in the church's calendar. Proclaiming the one, majoring in the minors. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're looking at St. Matthias, or if you prefer the German pronunciation, Matthias, uh, an apostle. The day that the church sets aside is February 24. Because this generally falls during the season of Lent, uh, rarely is there an opportunity in the church to... um, observe or hear these readings, and I think I'm going to compile a list, Pastor, that uh, when we're done with this uh, working our way through LSB minor festivals, compile a list of all these that rarely have an opportunity because they come back to back to back or because they're in festival seasons, and maybe we'll come up with uh, a calendar of our own, a way to, in the summer months or something, since we have Wednesday evening services year-round, I think that'd be kind of a fun thing thing to do, kind of a fun uh, little summer project. You crazy anti-lectionarians. Oh, yeah. And it would just be to extol the lectionary. <laughs> I've just uh, given you a hard time. Yeah. Okay. Um, normally, we would go to our Old Testament reading at this point, but in our third segment, we're going to go to the second reading uh, titled The Epistle, but it's not really an epistle. It's a uh, fairly long narrative from Acts chapter 1. I know this is uh, Pastor Moline's wheelhouse whenever we get in the book of Acts. And this is the call of Matthias. And I think uh, this is very, very instructive for us, not so much for the day, Matthias, but for this general theme of a faithful pastor how a faithful pastor is chosen, and what the faithful pastor is supposed to do. Be faithful. Vicar, Acts 1, 15 to 26. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, 
One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. There we have it, the epistle reading, the second reading for St. Matthias Day, Apostle of our Lord, February 24th. We have the, uh, the death of Judas and the call, the uh, selection of Matthias, probably one of the most uh, bizarre voters' meetings that uh, is recorded for us in all of Scripture. Uh, Pastor, I really don't want to spend a lot of time on uh, on the whole Judas thing. I want to get into the second half of our text here, but just just a few words with regard to those um, verses fifteen to twenty, with regard to Scripture had to be fulfilled. Um, Judas was numbered among us. Um, he fell in his guts split wide open, um, all that kind of stuff. Just a few words with regard to the downfall of Judas. Well, I guess what I'd say to our listeners is uh, this is why we teach repentance has two parts uh, and that both parts are necessary. Uh, First off, that you realize your sin is bad. That Judas did. Uh, But secondly, that you realize that Christ bleeds and dies for it and that Judas did not believe. And that's the real issue then is he didn't have faith in Jesus Christ. And so, um, yes, sin is serious, but uh, the blood of Christ covers sin. And so repent of your sin and trust the mercy of Jesus Christ. Uh, Have both parts of the repentance there, the acknowledgement it's wrong, and the knowledge that Jesus forgives it, um, and maybe that's enough to say about Judas. That's the example he teaches. Okay, Uh, and Judas really was an apostle of the Lord, and uh, I think it's also a classic example that you can fall from the faith, Um, and his his lack of faith is... uh, something that I think we need to emphasize and especially contrast with uh, Peter, uh, you know, during the Passion accounts. Peter sinned just as grievously as Judas did, and one had faith and one didn't, and that's that's a great Lenten theme. And I think you see... Uh, Judas takes the money and he goes to the temple and he throws the money into the temple and says, I've sinned against an innocent man and I need forgiveness. And uh, even a warning to pastors here who say, go and deal with this yourself is what they say instead of uh, a word of forgiveness, a word of mercy. And that's then also one of the warnings we need to take from Judas. Yes, that should uh, that should send shivers up every pastor's heart that uh, this is what happens when you are unfaithful. Uh, pointing people to themselves rather than to the sure and certain word of God. And we, we know that the uh, outcome for Judas was hellacious. There's a, a transition at the end of verse 20, Acts chapter 1, the uh, quote from Psalm 109, verse 8, let another take his office. And so this transition goes, and now we're going to see who this other is that takes the the, uh, office or the place of Judas. Verse 21, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, 
beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us as a witness to his resurrection. What does that tell us right there, Pastor, about Matthias? Well, uh, as you've mentioned throughout our episode today, it means that Messiah, Matthias uh, is an eyewitness. There you combine those words together, Matthias, witness. Um, uh, he's an eyewitness of all the things that Jesus has done. He's been with Christ since the beginning. Okay, and why is that important? Well, that's really what the office of apostle is, is eyewitness uh, who testifies to what they have seen with their own eyes and has received both the call to do so from God and also uh, is able to honestly say they've seen these things. And so that's Matthias. He's he's not a second-generation uh, Christian. He's a first eyewitness uh, account Christian. Okay, so he's he's different from the apostle Paul. Uh, who was not with Jesus from the beginning. He's uh, different from several of the other people that we've talked about, like Titus and Timothy, who were not with Jesus from the very beginning. Matthias was there. He was part of that 120. And I, I just make one quick mention of Apostle Paul. Jesus did come and talk directly to Paul, and so we, we would still count him as an apostle because of that. He's an eyewitness to Jesus. Right, and uh, because of this strange encounter, Paul himself uh, refers to himself as one abnormally born. Yes. Uh, he came to the faith. Least of a, the apostles. Yes, least of the apostles. Okay, so we got two guys here. They come up with two guys who have good guys, faithful guys, been with Jesus from the very beginning. We have the first guy who has the holy trinity of names, but we don't know anything else about. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice. So we got Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, and <laughs> Matthias. Okay, so we don't know anything about these guys except they were with Jesus from the beginning. So, Pastor, am I, am I looking at this right? They get these two good guys, and they go, you know, we don't want to mess this up. We got two good guys here. And so they bring them both up to the front, and then they say, Let's roll dice. Is that is that really what happened? Uh, well, in in one sense, yes. Um, what they do is they get two guys t together, and they both are qualified in the sense that they have both been eyewitnesses from the beginning. They both um, are apt at doing the work necessary and, and are faithful Christians. And they get the two guys who are qualified, and then they cast lots. Now, what does that mean? Uh, we could come up with lots of different things. Did they roll dice? Yes. Did they draw a name out of a hat? Perhaps. Did they? Uh, you know, I, I don't think we could exclude even voting here, but what they did not do is really important also. Um, they didn't interview them both and then, you know, see how the Spirit was moving them. They didn't say, well, I feel like I like this guy better than the other one. Uh, they they leave it to a certain they extent. They didn't have him preach a trial sermon. They didn't have him preach a trial sermon. And maybe they, they had heard him preach before, and that's part of how they got there, right? But um, they didn't read a, a form asking them how uh, how they feel about the Pentecostal movement in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. They didn't, um, uh, you know, say, what's your opinion on closed communion and its oh, practice in the congregation? Or, or female acolytes. Or female oh, acolytes. They have a two qualified people, and they, in a sense, leave it up to God to determine who the one is to be. And and that's really a unique thing that I think perhaps we could do a better job at in our, our own piety here today. 
Okay. V- Vicar's chomping at the bit. I'm always afraid when this happens, but go, Vicar. Oh, well, what came to mind, too, is throughout the history of Israel, you had, you know, God giving the high priest the, the Urim and the Thummim and other parts of the Old Testament where they would pray to God for wisdom and, you know, what seems to mortal eyes to be leaving it to the chance of fate or the roll of the dice, they leave it in the hands of God. So in a way, they're not doing anything unique or bizarrely different. They are following in the steps that they learn from the scriptures. Pray, leave it up to God, and what God says, that's what we do. Yeah, and I, and I think that's a good point. Uh, the, uh, we, we try to interject, you know, the, the Lord has given us a brain, and he's given us our reason and our understanding, and we certainly use those things, but ultimately the decision belongs to God. And throughout the scriptures, whenever human beings in the church make their own decisions, they goof it up. And uh, they mess it up big time. Hey, hey, hey! We want a king like all the other co- all the other countries, nations do. Or, or I mean, even saintly people like Abraham uh, and Sarah, who say, "Well, God promises a kid, and you ain't producing it, Sarah." So, what if we try and produce it here with Hagar instead? Yeah. So, uh, Pastor, you see the time that we got left in this segment. Connect the casting of lots and the calling of Matthias to the call process in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod? Well, uh, the time we have left. The, um, uh, the, the church has always called pastors who have been trained, examined, uh, ordained, and called. Uh, and uh, Matthias fits all those things. He's been trained in the sense he's been with Christ since the beginning and heard the preaching and teaching just like the other apostles. He's examined. That's part of the process that's being uh, laid out here in this particular text. Uh, he's called, uh, and that's the thing that takes place when they choose him over uh justice, um, and uh, he's ordained then also in the sense that he's numbered with the 11 apostles. They laid hands on him, uh, uh, that as well. And so he goes through the same process that every pastor who's legitimate has since the beginning of the church. Okay, and I want to I flesh that out just a little bit more in our last segment. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're looking at St. Matthias Day, February 24. to K-N-N-A-L-P, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're looking at St. Matthias Day, Apostle of Our Lord, February 24 on the church's calendar. I'm Pastor Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship Sunday mornings, 8 and 1030, Wednesday evening year-round at 630. You can check us out on the radio. All of our services are live, KNNALP 95.7 here in Lincoln and surrounding area. You can check out our uh, 
radio website, thecross957.org. Lots of programs archived, and you can go to your favorite podcast provider, and all of these programs are available under the general heading KNNA Theological Programming. So, uh, Pastor, we kind of we left off with uh, talking about the call and uh, the call process, and I really appreciated the fact that uh, you talked about how a pastor is trained, examined, called, and ordained. Those four parts come right out of the uh, Enchiridion of Chemnitz, and that's the way the church has always done it. That's uh, what's going on here. The, uh, the thing that sometimes catches people off guard is the casting of the lots. That seems to be just so random. And, and, and yet, I mean, Zechariah was selected to go and serve in the temple to hear about the birth of John the Baptist by lots. It's a way that God has set aside to communicate with his people. And, and Sorry for interrupting. Of, and in the book of Jonah and all that. Well, we're modern people, and uh, you know, we want to have our fingers in the mix. Uh, I know pastors, I'm sure you do, that uh, would desire a call, and so they do a little manipulating behind the scenes, and maybe they want a call uh, just to get a raise in their current situation. Maybe they actually want to leave, and uh, so they want their human fingers in this. Um, we know in the church, there's a lot of politics that goes on in the church, from circuit counselor to district president to synodical president, everything in between. Uh, you, get, you get flyers and voting guides and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I, th I think we're reaping what we have been sowing because we continually show our lack of trust in God and our desire for political and human manipulation. What would you say, Pastor, if we decided, you know, uh, at the next uh, synodical convention, what would you say if we took all the names that were eligible from the Lutheran annual and uh, figured out a way to draw lots, whether it be like a bingo kind of a thing and you wait for the one ball to come down the pike or put names in a hat or do something, you know, whatever like that. Well, how would that change the way church works? Well, I mean, I don't think it would be unscriptural. I mean, definitely we could do that if we chose to do that. Um, there is a certain piety that uh, has developed in how pastors are moved about, and we do try and manipulate it. That's our sinful nature. And yet, <clears throat> already, we know that God is the one at work, and he works both for congregations as well as for pastors. Ultimately, his goal is to teach them to trust in him more. And so sometimes God gives the pastor who wants a particular call exactly what he wants, and then he learns that maybe he should want different things than what he's received. Sometimes God gives the congregation exactly the guy they think they want, and then they learn perhaps there's something more important than the guy they want, which is the word. And so God is working as churches uh, succeed and do well, and as hard as it is for us to comprehend and understand, God is also working when churches have challenges and difficulties, and the message at all those times ought to be trust in Christ and repent of your sins. 
That's when we're succeeding. Uh, don't think you're the cause of this. It's when there's a failure. Maybe you've been thinking too highly of yourself, and now you need to go to the correct place. God doesn't need any particular man. There's not a particular pastor that um, is the perfect pastor that uh, you know God's like, yeah, that's the guy that I need to do this. God puts men where they are by his mercy. He serves congregations by his mercy, and behind it all, he wishes them to trust and to love him. That's what's at work. I, I thank you. That was very, very well <laughs> said, and I'm glad the vicar was listening because we have that opportunity to visit with him now with regard to his vicarage and his last year at the uh, seminary. He'll have all kinds of opportunities to tell people where he wants to go and what kind of a church he wants to serve and all these human factors and influences. And I think sometimes God just sits back and laughs. One of my professors at the seminary now, uh, sainted Dr. Feuerhan, uh, used to say that sometimes because God loves a pastor or loves a congregation, he, like Moses, leads them to the wilderness for 40 years. Yep. And uh, that's that's a hard pill to swallow right there. But if we trust that the will of God is always good and uh, for our benefit, we can handle these things in a much, much better light. Well, and I think it's because we're we're ultimately all little Joel Osteens in our hearts, right? Who think God wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise in our congregation. And yet the Lord of the church is the one who's been Lord of the church when it existed in Cappadocia and Turkey, places that were once strongholds of Christianity that have now ruins of churches buried under years of silt and mud uh, that are just being excavated and found and where there's hardly any Christians at all now. God still is the master of the church, and uh, the same thing he did there could happen here, and that's why we all need to repent and trust in Christ. Uh, You can plug in Germany and uh, in many places of the United States. uh, Vicar, our Old Testament reading, I think this is a great segue here. Our Old Testament reading for St. Matthias Day is Isaiah 66, 1-2. Very, very short passage, and yet at the same time, the last little bit here uh, just, I think, really sums up everything we've been talking about. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You know, Pastor, uh, when I see these words from Isaiah. God is reminding us through Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, that everything belongs to God. You know, don't take credit for this or for that. How many pastors uh, don't say things like, well, in my church, we do it this way, or um, in my church, we worship 300 people. Oh, oh, really? Well, we just worship one, uh, the triune God. Um, so we get so full of ourselves. God reminds everyone he's in control and everything belongs to him. And then he says... And the earth is his footstool. <laughs> and the earth is his footstool. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Three little pieces of what God is looking for. I think uh, 
first and foremost, uh, we can say in anyone who is a believer, these are the attributes, but specifically for one who would aspire to the office of the holy ministry. Your thoughts on that section, Pastor? Well, and then I, I don't disagree, but then even more specifically, Christ himself is the one who fulfills these words. And our efforts at that, and I use that carefully, uh, are but a poor reflection on what Christ actually has done. The word is the only thing that can lead to that humility, contriteness in spirit, uh, and even the trembling. And so uh, we need to hear the word as often as we can, and that's the thing that will bring us into the faith uh, that this is describing. Trembling at my word, Vicar, does this mean that we should be afraid of it? Yes and no. Okay, what do you mean by that? God's word of law says you are a sinner. Your verdict is death and damnation. Sin is real, and the punishment for sin is very real. And so the law should drive us to despair of ourselves. But there's also another kind of trembling that can occur when the Holy Spirit grants faith. If you've ever seen a person like a celebrity and you've just been starstruck and you just, you're just you so excited that you tremble or something else that just fills you with so much joy, your body can't contain it. We tremble at the word of the gospel in the sense of our hearts are filled with faith and joy and we just we can't contain it. Because God's forgiveness to us in Christ Jesus is so wonderful that nothing, nothing can contain it. If, if I try and keep silent, your word is like a fire in my bones. It just has to go out. And I appreciate you uh, using a law gospel uh, framework to, uh, to make that statement. Very good. Pastor, why should a pastor before he steps into the pulpit to preach the Word of God, tremble at the Word of God? Uh, because it is a two-edged sword that divides uh, closer than we could possibly ever, and it's a tremendous sword to wield, and the pastor ought to make sure that he wields it appropriately and uses it for what it's intended. And, and the only way he can do that is by the mercy and grace of God himself, and that's I don't know what your prayer is. That's my prayer, that God would work through the Word, that he would drive people to Jesus and not to me, and any mistakes that I make, that he might forgive it, uh, and that uh, through both the uh, preaching of the law and of the gospel, the Holy Spirit would lead these people to eternal life through Jesus Christ. And uh, that's essentially what the prayer needs to be, and that's why a pastor ought to use the word carefully, not only so he doesn't cut himself as he foolishly swings around the sword, but also that he doesn't damage or injure any of the people of God also. I've seen a lot of pastors uh, who have many gifts, talents, and abilities, humanly speaking, get too comfortable with the Word of God, that they can phone it in. And uh, when when uh, a pastor gets comfortable with the Word of God and does not approach the Word of God in his study, in his prayer life, in his preaching, in his teaching, as God told Moses, uh, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. Uh, when we fail to look at the Bible, God's Word, as holy ground, we're setting ourselves up to injure ourselves 
and our hearers, and may God preserve us from that. Vicar, the uh, collect of the day for St. Matthias Day, February 24th, sums things up beautifully. Would you pray that for us, please? Let us pray. Almighty God, you chose your servant Matthias to be numbered among the twelve. Grant that your church, ever preserved from false teachers, may be taught and guided by faithful and true pastors. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele and Pastor Poppy, thank you for tuning in today to Majoring in the Minors, Proclaiming the One, St. Matthias Day, February 24th. We'll be back again soon. God's richest blessings in Christ. <laughs>